What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another quick Friday episode of the Multifamily Wealth Podcast. Uh, in this episode, I'm going to be going over a deal that I just closed, um, just closed being last week, but it was a 24-unit portfolio in Manchester, New Hampshire, um, one of the larger deals that I've done, and uh, a lot of moving parts to this one. And uh, when I put it up on Instagram, I got a lot of comments uh, asking to do a some kind of a deal overview and to dive into the different pieces of this deal. So in this episode, I'm going to be talking about how I found this deal, how we financed it, and uh, and what the business plan is moving forward. And uh, I'll get started with how we found this deal because I think there's a lot of learning lessons in here. And um, I think that there's something to learn uh, as it relates to off-market prospecting and uh, and just looking at finding deals off-market really as a as sales and treating it like it's a sales activity rather than it's a real estate activity um, or that it's real estate related. It's really when you're going off market and looking for deals direct to seller, you're getting out of the real estate business and you're getting into the sales and marketing business. And I've talked about this before, but it's important to take a sales mindset when you start doing this. Um, you know, you're starting to kind of step out of your shoes as a real estate investor a little bit and into a uh, into a salesperson or into a marketing individual because you need to apply those principles when you're going off market. And this deal is a good example of that. So we'll get started here and I'll talk about the channels, um, some of the strategies I used and and how we actually get this under contract. So to back up about six months or, or, six months or so ago, excuse me, uh, somebody that I work with um, who goes out and finds deals for me, uh, he, he actually uh, sent out a cold email to this owner and we got a reply. I, I can't remember which contact. I think it was third, fourth contact or something in our in our process. And he replied, wanted to learn more about what we were doing, why we were reaching out. And uh, I jumped on the phone with him and started building a relationship. And without diving too much into this part of the the story, needless to say, this was a four, five, six month. I mean, I can't even remember the exact timeline now, but I believe we spent five or six months just speaking with this guy, and uh, we would chat learn more about the buildings. We couldn't come to a price. He wasn't really ready to sell. And over the course of four or five months, we built a rapport to the point to where there was a motivating factor in his life that really pushed the issue for him in terms of selling these buildings. Um, he was having a legal dispute and, and a, kind of a personal issue with his property manager. And instead of going out and finding a new property manager, he figured he would just go out and sell the buildings. Uh, he was an older gentleman who was trying to get out of the business. So identified that pain point and uh, you know, kind of used that to expedite the conversation. So needless to say, we came to a price and uh, you know, like I said, after a ton of follow-up and after learning a lot about his situation, uh, we discovered that uh, paying capital gains was really what was stopping him from wanting to do all these or to sell all these properties at the same time. So we structured an arrangement where we would buy two out of the four buildings in the portfolio uh, this year in 2020 and we would defer the um, the sale for the other two until January of 2021, so he could kind of spread his capital gains um, obligations over the course of two years. Uh, he wasn't interested in doing seller financing or really doing anything else that uh, you know that would mitigate that. So, so that was how we solved that problem. And he had uh, he had an interesting uh, idea. I mean, we we both kind of came to this, but uh, he 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 didn't really want prices for each building. He wanted an overall price for the portfolio. And uh, we were trying to figure out how to allocate it into, you know, divvy up the purchase price onto each property. And we came to somewhat of an idea or an agreement that we could allocate the purchase price across the four properties uh, in a way that would really mitigate his tax liabilities. So, you know, the properties that he had a low basis on, 
we would assign kind of a lower purchase price to, and then the properties that he had a, a higher basis on, where he was uh, was going to be obligated to pay, you know, less than capital gains taxes as it relates to what he would have to pay for other buildings, we would assign a higher price to. And uh, this, you know, was was a great problem solving tool to kind of mitigate the the tax piece of his objections. And uh, one of the takeaways, though, that we found was uh, he wanted to kind of assign a higher percentage of the overall purchase price to two of the buildings that we were closing earlier. So the two buildings that we were closing in 2020. And basically, you know, uh, we, we had, we, there was some conversation around, well, you know, if we close these in September of 2020 or November of 2020, you know, when we we're trying to find the closing date, what, what if something happens to those other two buildings before, you know, the closing to where we can buy them, you know, extreme scenario, but what if they burn down or what if, something happens to where the contract becomes, you know, null and void. And next thing I know, you know, I'm stuck paying market or above market for these two buildings. So what we did was we, we kind of balanced it out. So, you know, we had slightly higher purchase price for one building that we closed earlier and then a slightly lower one, you know, that we were closing in 2020 and basically did one this year, one next year in terms of assigning a higher purchase price relative to the value of that building. So just something to think about if you were to employ that strategy and you aren't closing all of the properties at the same time, which is what we were doing in this scenario, um, you know, keep that in mind. You don't want to pay, you know, more for the buildings that you're closing initially because, you know, something could happen. Maybe the seller just tries to get out of the deal and go and get market for those other two and now you got to pursue legal action and it could open up a can of worms there. So in general, nice strategy if you're dealing with a portfolio sale and the seller is worried about his tax obligations. Uh, divvy up the purchase price to, to minimize that 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 fear, that issue, uh, especially if you're closing them all on the same day and you don't have the problem I was just mentioning, you know, that, that's going to be a good strategy to get past that. So needless to say, that that's how we found it. Um, you know, ton of follow-up, ton of just rapport building over a long period of time, just staying consistent in our communication. We finally got to a point to where his situation dictated he needed to sell. So hopefully there's some takeaways as it relates to that piece of the deal for some of the listeners here. Um, and I'll quickly touch on what I liked about these properties. And without going too deep into the criteria that that we have in terms of what we're looking to buy right now and uh, and, and how that relates to the market cycles and you know how th- that's just a whole other conversation here. Uh, I'll talk about what I what I liked about them. So you know all the properties had very very good parking, which is can be a challenge in the market that we're investing in. Inner city Manchester, New Hampshire is a you know really small market. I'm sure a lot of the listeners. Just don't even really know where that is, but essentially it's the largest city in New Hampshire, and a lot of uh, the buildings in the downtown area of Manchester don't have great off-street parking. All of these buildings do, like a lot of off-street parking, more than really any buildings I've seen um, in these neighborhoods that they're located in, which is a great, uh, which is which is great for tenants, and it really increases the rentability of the units. Uh, all of the buildings had very little deferred maintenance; they were all in pretty good shape as it relates to. Uh, the roofs, the siding, the windows, um, heating systems, you know, other major systems, water heaters. So we, we, we didn't really expect to have to pay a lot in deferred maintenance items up front, which is, which is always great. You know, when you're spending money on capital expenditures, you'd like them to be in the units and more value add in nature uh, in terms of being able to increase rent. So, so that was really nice. And all the neighborhoods are really great neighborhoods. Uh, you know, three out of the four buildings are just some of the nicest neighborhoods I've ever owned property in. You know, one of them is somewhat of a C plus class, C C class neighborhood, but but the other three are just really stellar neighborhoods. And all of the tenants were on month to month leases. So 
all of these units are significantly, significantly below market rent. So, you know, we're talking some of these units are $750 a month when market rent is $1,150 a month, like like almost half of what market rent is in some of the units. Now, I have a, I have a, a unit in one of these buildings where the tenant is paying $600 a month and the market rent is $1,300. So, you know, we're going to do our best to kind of keep the tenants there and gradually get to market without having to turn over the entire tenant base. Uh, with that said, there's going to be uh, a lot of, there's going to be some turmoil in the tenant base as it relates to getting these units to market. And month-to-month leases are important because it gives us some flexibility in terms of being able to do rent raises or to do notices to vacate, to actually get these to market um, and to get to a good refinance figure. So month-to-month leases are great. You know, finding, but you know, if, if one of these buildings had a bunch of units that were half of market rent, and they had you know annual leases on it, and we wouldn't be able to do any increases till middle of 2021 or late 2021 or something like that. It would it really would have changed the the outlook of the deal for sure. So that's always nice. And overall, these this just isn't a heavy lift. So we're not going to be spending that much money in the units, even when it comes time to turn them over. You know, it's not like we have to spend 10 grand a unit and do flooring, paint, kitchens, baths to get to what market rent is. A lot of these units are already renovated and already in great condition. And the seller took great care of the building. So, you know, we're talking light, light rehabs to get to these market figures if the tenants were to leave, you know, paint and fixtures, couple grand. So, so that's a nice benefit here. And, uh, you know, we're trying to stay away from really heavy lift projects right now because of eviction moratoriums, uh, because of where we're at in the market. And, uh, and just in general, it's nicer to do easy projects. So, so that's, that's what we had with this deal is just a, an elderly landlord somewhat mismanaged, you know, his property manager wasn't doing a great job, which is what, what drove him to, to look to sell. And it's it's a pretty simple, straightforward business plan. So let's talk about how we finance these and how we put these deals together. So seller was, uh, again, we had a lot of problems with the seller and his property manager in terms of gaining access to the building. The property manager had all the keys and the seller was just not motivated to go out and, you know, either A, get the keys from him or you know, be rekey the building or or really anything, and and without diving too too deep into this soap opera of a story, we basically realized that we weren't going to really be able to get access to these buildings. Uh, so, would have loved to have done some kind of conventional mortgage or something like that, and uh, and just get these for some twenty percent down. You know, longer term amortization, a low interest rate. You know, kind of stabilized debt up front. However those require appraisals. And we we literally didn't think we were going to be able to get anyone into the units to do appraisals. And that was the case. We, we weren't able to gain access to the units. Uh, you know, early in these process, we got uh, the, the, the seller had the contact information to two or three of the units in each building. And we were able to kind of get in and walk it and to look at the units um, just to get an idea of what we were dealing with. And that was enough information combined with looking at the basements, looking at the exteriors, um, you know, kind of, and just comparing it to the purchase price of the overall portfolio to where it was risk mitigated enough to where I was okay with moving on it, despite the fact that I wasn't able to walk all the units. And obviously due diligence is a critical piece of any real estate transaction. I, I feel like a lot of people wouldn't have done this deal because they weren't able to get in all the units. That said, purchase price was low enough and I was the only one buying these. I didn't have investor money that I was bringing into this deal to where, you know, other people's money was at risk where I was, that being said, I was okay with taking this, this, uh, this step and, and closing a deal where, uh, 
where I wasn't able to get in and actually look at all the units. So a, a bit of a tangent there and kind of a reminder that you need to take risks when you're doing great deals. Like it, they're not going to be served up on a silver platter here. While the business plan is extraordinarily straightforward, the buildings are in great neighborhoods, you know, little deferred maintenance, low rehab, all that's great. The risk on this deal was we couldn't do as much due diligence as we typically do, which is getting into all the units and doing a formal home inspection. We did walkthroughs of half the units and we just had to make a decision on that because of the situation that the seller was in. And that's, you know, because of that situation, that's why we're in a position to buy these at a discount. So long story short, couldn't do bank financing because we just couldn't get in the units and we couldn't do an appraisal. So we had to go the route of private money on these uh, and hard money. So two out of the four I financed with private money, uh, just a local investor, and uh, and we were able to do you know a good chunk of the purchase price at a, at a reasonable interest rate. I think we did it at 8% with a point, which is really competitive for private money. And the other two are hard money at higher interest rates because I didn't have enough private money connections to finance the entire thing or, you know, or else I would have. But the other two we did, uh, uh, I believe it was 80% loan to value, 12% interest and a point or two points, excuse me. So significantly more expensive and really expensive if you're going to have this debt on the property for a while. Uh, that said, we're going to be trying to refinance these in, in early January. So we're going to be trying to get out of these pretty soon. Um, and, and because of that, we were okay with slightly higher financing costs and slightly higher transactional costs because A, the deals are great. B, we're going to get out of it relatively quickly. And C, it's just what was required in order to do the deal. We, our hands are somewhat tied on this one. So to come up with the, the funds for the down payment, uh, we actually had a private lender do some second mortgages as well at slightly higher interest rates. Uh, we did that on two out of the four buildings. So uh, basically, total out-of-pocket cost on all of these was was I mean it was right around 150k or something like that. It was it was a little less than 10% of the overall project, and you know didn't have to do that. Could have brought more money to put down. However, trying to stay relatively liquid right now, and I'm okay with financing a little bit more uh, if it means that I can keep more reserves in the bank. So in order to raise money to to put down on this and to have some money in the bank to feel comfortable doing this. Uh, we sold a lot of properties as well to kind of we, so we liquidated some uh, some equity that we had in buildings, and uh, and now we're just sitting on that in order to make this project somewhat less stressful in terms of the amount of debt that we have on it, and the uh, type of debt that we have on it. So basically, the pitch to the the folks doing second mortgages because I, I feel like I'll get questions on that was this isn't a, you know, a situation where we're going really like to 100% loan to value on these deals. And I think this is a good thing to remember when you're speaking with private investors, whether it's you know a first position lender or a second position lender or whatever, is you have your loan to cost and then you have your loan to value. And you know, for example, one of these buildings we, we were buying and the purchase price assigned to this specific property was 408 grand. Uh, this is a property that I literally could have assigned at, at 495k or so during the transaction. Uh, you know, if I were to close and resell, that's where the list price would be at right up around 500k, and we'd get that. The market activity in, in this market suggests that that wouldn't be a hard sale, and uh, and a lot of the comps and appraised uh, appraised values of nearby properties suggest that. So, long story short, you know, we had a first position on there of I believe 340, and then we had a second position of of a little bit less. I think it was. You know, 40, 50, something like that. And I'm and yeah, that's that's high leverage if you just look at it on you know, in a vacuum. However, 
that's 95% loan to cost. The actual loan to value, significantly lower than that. Uh, you know, roughly 80%, high 70s, which is a significantly safer number. So I think that's a good thing to remember if you're communicating these types of opportunities to other folks is to understand that you're doing loan to cost, not loan to value. And the actual loan to value is different and might make it, you know, an easier an easier pitch or an easier sell or an easier conversation when you're talking about doing higher leverage upfront on a purchase. So a bit of a side tangent. So um, in, a, in, a, in a general note, that's how we, that's how we finance them combination of private and hard money hopefully a couple of tidbits in there you can pull out and use in your own business and, and apply to your own deals uh, but last but not least we have our business plan and uh, again I mentioned this earlier in this episode here that it was a really straightforward business plan uh, we're just doing rent raises and hoping that we can keep tenants and if tenants leave we're talking two three four grand a unit depending on the unit and its condition to actually get it to market rent and then we go out and refinance so nothing really crazy going on here uh, one of the buildings is a little bit more intensive in that the building is on one electric meter and we're going to be trying to separate electric into different panels and then make it the responsibility of the tenant so that the landlord doesn't have to pay electric, which is not the industry standard in this market. It's really you know unusual that you have a building on one electric panel. So that's kind of going to be step one in terms of, in terms of that specific building. And outside of that, the business plans for really all the properties are, are straightforward, like I mentioned. Simple rent raises, minimal renovations, and just getting these to market. So I feel like that's a pretty good overview of this deal. Uh, hopefully there were some things in here that was helpful to you and, and, and maybe you learned some things that you can apply to deals you're working on. Uh, just you know, high-level reminders or high-level things that, that, that I learned in this deal that are, you know, that are really good reminders is uh, follow-up is so key when you're doing off-market transactions and trying to go direct to seller. Uh, these deals take time to put together, especially when they start to creep up and and uh, you know into seven-figure purchase prices, and you have multiple parts and multiple properties, you know, like you do in a portfolio deal. And uh, you just have to stay in touch with the sellers that you're speaking with. Very rarely are people going to sell you their property on your first contact. You know, usually it's going to be the sixth, seventh, eighth, tenth contact where people are actually going to decide to sell. And when you're reaching out, you need to understand that your goal is to build relationships, not to buy property, because relationships are what are, are going to get you the deal uh, at the end of the day, not you know sales copy, not a sales pitch, nothing like that. Reach out with a low pressure approach, do your best to solve their problems and build a relationship and just get to know them. And eventually, when it comes time for them to sell their deal, if they're interested in doing it off market, they're going to call you and you're going to get something done. So one other thing that that I learned on this as it relates to doing a portfolio deal is if you are unable to buy all of the buildings in a specific portfolio or you know buying all of them is just going to make it a a larger transaction than you're able to handle or maybe you're not interested in buying all of the the buildings within a portfolio maybe you like 75% of the buildings but you don't like uh, 25% of them or something like that uh, think about assigning or wholesaling one out of the group. Um, you know that was something I had considered on this deal, where three of these properties were in stellar neighborhoods, slam dunk deals, and the fourth one was a bit of a more mediocre neighborhood. And the the the, the uh, purchase price that we had assigned to it really allowed for there to be a margin to go out and assign it. Um, in the end, I decided to keep it because I liked the upside and I did like the asset itself in terms of the physical construction of it. Very little deferred maintenance and. Uh, and it was really just going to be a simple turnaround. But I could have assigned that and used the funds from that assignment to put down on the other properties and reduce my cash out of pocket. 
So a good, just something to keep in mind as an overall strategy. Uh, I didn't put it to use on this deal specifically, but it's certainly going to be something I keep in mind in the future. So hopefully you found some value in this deal overview. Uh, let me know if this was something that you enjoyed listening to or you want me to do again in the future and uh, on future deals. Uh, reach out on Instagram at multifamilywealth. And um, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating and a review. It, it really helps to get noticed by more people. And um, it's always great to see uh, people responding well to the content. So needless to say, I uh, hope you enjoyed this. See you guys next week on Tuesday with a new episode. And I uh, look forward to chatting again soon.